conversations that you connect with and react to. SAFM. Kathimo Tlatana on SAFM. All right, it's 17 after 10 o'clock. Let's get straight into our conversation for this hour. We're looking in particular at the results for the 2023 Independent Examinations Board that were released um, just overnight. Much of the fanfare uh, this morning is still about those results. And 94.4, rather, uh, 0.46 percentage pass rate. And joining us for that conversation this morning are Keith Maseko who is the CEO of the South African Comprehensive Assessment Institute. Keith, good morning. Uh, good morning to you, Cathy, and the listeners. William Bester is chairperson of the National Alliance of Independent Schools Associations, NAISA. William, good morning. Good morning and welcome. Um, thank you for welcoming me on the show and uh, good morning to all your listeners. Sure. And Lebohang Munjani is the Executive Director at Independent Schools Association of Southern Africa. That's ISASA. Lebohang, good morning. Good morning, Kathy, and good morning to the listeners. So I'll come to you in a moment as um, some of the bodies that really have great insight into how independent and private schools are functioning. Before I do that, I want to give one of the learners, um, one of the top learners, at least in his school from this year, uh, Leroux Latakhan, who is a learner at Redden House in Durbanville. Leroux, good morning to you. Thank you so much for making time for us. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Let's talk about how the last 24 hours have been. Speak to me about your nerves, your anxiety. Um, honestly, it has been a bit of a whirlwind. Yeah. I, um, most of the time, the way I, I approach getting my results, it's normally a bit of, little bit of nerves and then a lot of numbness. But uh, I'm so happy that it went my favor. I, I felt like I did work quite hard, so it's, I, I'm just happy it paid off a little bit. Wow, congratulations. What were you most worried about, Leroux? It's always a feeling of, in, in the way, you kind of think, oh, what if I didn't study hard enough? What okay. if I don't get the results uh, I want? What then? And I was just worried uh, it's, that it's maybe cute. I might miss something. Absolutely. There's always, you know, that that expectation and the pressure that we put on ourselves. So let me give you then, LaRue, an opportunity to brag on national radio um, for a little bit. Tell us about your results. How well did you do? So I did A-levels, which basically is a 13th year because I matriculated in 2022. Um, I I wasn't really quite ready to get to university yet, so I decided to further my my schooling a little bit. And I did an A-level in chemistry, physics, and maths, and I achieved an A-star for all of them. So I'm very, very happy about that. Sure, that is incredible. I'm assuming, Leroux, because you did your A-levels, then you're probably planning on studying somewhere outside of South Africa. That was the plan for quite a long time, but I wasn't quite ready to leave the family and everyone behind in South Africa. So I decided my main focus now is Stellenbosch University um, to study mechatronic engineering. But then the hope is for a master's degree later on to go overseas to maybe England or Belgium or something like that. 
That's fantastic, LaRue. We wish you all of the best um, with your career and your future plans. Um, have fun in your first year, but also stay focused, okay? Don't lose the focus. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. I mean, it's always a bit of temptation to get lost in all these parties and things like that, but I'm, I'm planning to work really hard, yeah. All right, all right. All of the best, LaRue. Thank you so much um, for coming so much. Onto, the, onto the show and speaking to us uh, just briefly there. So LaRue, one of those uh, learners, of course, who is celebrating uh, his results this morning. William, let me perhaps kick off the conversation here. It is, there's often, in at least in the mind of the public, not much of a distinction between what we in South Africa call private schools. But I know that by definition, um, there is a difference between private schools and independent schools. Speak to us about that and how that affects then even this process of running exams. Good. So, Kathy, thank you. Um, by definition, I think uh, private schools are independent schools. Um, and I think there are two categories of that. The one are completely, one group is completely self-funded. Um, and then there's a cohort of schools which are um, government subsidized or subsidized by the DBE. Um, but fundamentally, we all have to, if we're writing the IB exam or the national exam, we all have to meet the minimum outcomes of the national senior certificate or the curriculum statement caps as, as we know it. Um, so I think, you know, when we look at matric results, we, we have to really congratulate the teachers and the students and the examination bodies for the incredible job they do in maintaining a good standard and a credible standard for all our students in the country. So, so what does that mean, Lebogang? Often there's this impression that if you write the IEB exam, then, you know, you have passed the most difficult exam. It's seen as a higher exam, higher quality exam. Um, and that's the I can remember that impression from the time that I was in high school too. You know, if you're writing an IEB exam, it was like yo, you know, you you really really have to know your stuff. Um, is that really the case though? If I listen to what William is is saying, that both examinations have to fulfil the criteria of the national senior certificate. Exactly. And that National Senior Certificate, Tassie, is actually moderated by Uma Lucy. And everybody gets the same certificate from Uma Lucy. I think that really what the impression is about the difference between the IEB and the NSC, uh, the National Certificate as written to the state, is that people, uh, is that the systems are very different. So the IEB, I think that this year, they examined, I think, uh, for, uh, about 15,000 pupils, while the state is around 700,000 students uh, actually write the exams. So the advice, you know, it, but everything is administered by Uma Lucy, and, uh, and, and I think that that is something that we must understand, that it's the same qualification, but just different examination bodies. Keith, where do bodies like Sakai fit into all of this? Um, thank you, Kathy. Um, Sakai stands alongside the IEB and the DBE. 
we are more or less the new kids on the block pertaining to being an assessment body. We've been around for 12 years, but we recently actually got our full accreditation from Umalusi in October 2022, which also then meant that in 2023, that was officially our first run as a fully accredited assessment body. I do echo the sentiments or rather the comments that have come through from the other two speakers that Umalusi is the quality assurer. Um, they do more or less check the processes that the three assessment bodies would more or less be looking into. Uh, or we could also say four assessment bodies, the Department of Higher Education and Training, DET, DBE, Department of Basic Education, Sakai, and the IEB. Depending on the qualifications that we assess, Umalusi is there to quality assure, to make sure that the standards of these qualifications that we assess are more or less the same. Um, so in, in, in pertaining to this particular conversation, yes, Sakai also had a cohort of about um, 5,800 uh, candidates, um, slightly lower uh, than the IEB and, of course, the DBE. Um, but our cohort then becomes slightly bit more special in the sense that we have seen the growth of online schooling uh, over the last couple of years since COVID. And we as Sakai assess candidates that have chosen that particular option of going through online schooling and pushing towards achieving a matric certificate. All right. So how how does it affect the actual running then of day-to-day operations in school? And by that, I mean the actual curriculum that is in schools when you have all of these different bodies that assess um, assess that that curriculum, Keith. Um, I think at the end of the day, uh, like the previous speaker, Umalusi is there to make sure that the quality of question papers that Sakai IEB and uh, the DBE um, produce and send to Umalusi for approval we have not compromised the standards of the of the qualification of the NEC qualification. So I think that in itself is a safeguard that to make sure that at the end of the day, when learners get an Umalusi certificate, it's uh, it's a certificate that comes from Umalusi, not necessarily from Sakai, IEB or the department. Um, but we do issue out what we call statement of results um, that allow candidates to then apply for higher um, higher learning or tertiary to tertiary institutions. But when it comes to operations, we do know that each of the assessment bodies have a responsibility of having what we call interventions, interventions to not only support the schools that have registered with that respective assessment body. Um, but these interventions are geared to make sure that at the end of the day, candidates are well prepared for exams. The set works that the candidates must attempt in terms of different set works, like the books recommended, et cetera, or the poems, et cetera, uh, are more or less in line in terms of what will eventually come out in the exam. So there's a bit of autonomy, but what brings us all together is the Umalusi umbrella. William, this idea that what is happening in private schools is better than what is happening in public schools curriculum-wise, is that a fallacy or is it a a reality? Do private schools bring an offering from a curriculum point of view 
that public schools simply can't compete with? So, Kathy, I think that every school, um, in every system, you will find good schools and weaker schools. So I think that, you know, to, to try and say independent schools are better schools, I think, you know, is a long shot. I think what is true is that independent schools have a greater ability to follow their ethos, maybe a, a religious culture or a philosophical culture curriculum. in a way that, but ultimately we all have to meet a certain set of standards. And as we've spoken about with Malusi, schools have to go through accreditation process of teaching and learning. And Malusi is responsible to ensure that, that we meet um, adequate standards throughout the pathway of education. All right, we'll continue the conversation in a moment. I'm quite interested then in if these are all pathways that have to follow a similar course curriculum-wise, why is it that we see the private sector producing or the independent sector producing the kind of results that it does while the public schooling system seems to be lagging behind. It's 10.30, time for the latest headlines. We continue the conversation on the talking point. We're zooming in uh, to the matric results, in particular, the Independence Examinations Board and the Sakai um, results that have come out overnight. And, of course, that leads us into the National Senior Certificate results, at least more broadly, uh, for the rest of the candidates um, through the Department of Basic Education that will be announced tomorrow. So, so much has come out of the conversation so far. Before I go back to my guests, I want to invite on air another very special uh, guest, Dia Singh. Dia, you're from Kuro, Newcastle. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much for making time for us, Dia. I, I mean, the celebrations I can imagine in your household have been off the roof. You've gotten 10 distinctions, Dia. Yeah, it's incredible. It's actually unbelievable. I'm still trying to process it. What What did you do? How did you get this right? Uh, well, you know, it was definitely a lot of hard work from the beginning of the year. Last year, I set my mind to it, to constantly and consistently put an effort towards learning for the final examination. Mm, mm. And you're doing two, uh, 10 subjects. Most, the, 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 the expectation is of seven subjects. So you're doing three additional suspects, uh, sub- subjects, dear. What are your subjects? Oh, well, my subject is math and then also further studies math, which is calculus and separately I also do finance and modeling. And I also take accounting, physics, biology and business studies. That is absolutely fantastic. I'm curious now, what are you going to do with these excellent results? What does 2024 look like for you? Well, 2024, I'm hoping that I can pursue an actuarial science degree as, you know, math is definitely my passion. And I have three subjects that were maths 
and you know I've excelled in these subjects. They were my highest my highest marks, and it is definitely my passion. Do you know yet where you want to go? I think I'll go to Pretoria at this stage. All right, dear, your your results are absolutely phenomenal. You've done so well. I hope that you're proud of yourself because you have every reason um, to be. And speak to me about your your average, dear. What is your average in your results? It's ninety five percent. What? Ninety five percent average. <laughs> yeah. It's- it's really crazy. I'm so grateful. Wow, wow, wow. It's, I mean, this means that you, you, you must have probably gotten 100% in some of the subjects as well. I mean, <laughs> if, 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 if you're getting over 95, it's basically 100. So we'll give it to you. If they didn't give you that ex, those two extra marks, dear, we're giving you those extra marks <laughs> on the talking point. Thank you. <laughs> In our books, your average is basically 100%. (laughs) Congratulations, dear. And, you know, it really is the result of of hard work. And we wish you all of the best in in your career and in your plans as you set off to start the first year of Varsity. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Oh, fantastic. Dia Singh, uh, she's from Kuro, Newcastle. Ten distinctions. Can you believe that? An average above 90%. So, Lebohang, is there something that you believe private schools are doing better than public schools? Um, And it, it will be helpful if we're able to narrow down what is it that maintains the consistency in private schools with results that we don't see in public schools? I think, Cathy, we really need to be careful to try and say, for example, that independent schools do better than public schools. I really do. There are so many excellent public schools in our country. And I think that really the state system is all-encompassing, as I indicated, with Uh, They're examining over 700,000 candidates this year. So if we disaggregate the state system, I would suggest that our quintiles four and five schools, which are fee-paying schools, would do very similarly to how independent schools perform. And in fact, I think that your question has put a challenge to us at this answer that I really would love to actually do that kind of an analysis to show, and I suspect that we'll find that it's true, that a lot of our public schools, especially our more well-resourced public schools, Mm. are doing just as well as our independent schools. Mm. On the issue of resources, Leborang, what is it, um, at least within the sector, that you find yields the most results? So what do you put more money into that guarantees these kind of outcomes? What we know all over the world that if you want to change your education system, you start in early childhood education. And I think that that is why you see independent schools doing so well. And I suspect that you'll see that those children who have gone to uh, well-resourced public schools also do well because they went to high-quality pre-primary schools. You start at the pre-primary level, and what you invest from birth to six years old and sometimes people argue from birth to 10 years old, 
determine the outcomes. So really, I think I must commend our country. We've moved away from pre-primary education being social development into education. And I think that President Khalama Matante always was raising that uh, when he was president. And I'm glad that we've finally done that. And that only happened last year. And that, I think, is what is the differentiator. Children who are well-prepared in pre-primary education, as we all know, all over the world, is what determines outcomes in matric, actually. William, do you get a sense that that is how um, parents view it, that the investment should really be going into the earlier years and not necessarily um, the last five years of uh, a child's schooling career? Uh, yes, Kathy, I would agree with that statement. And I think that what is also very important to consider is that, you know, in the independent sector, we're probably dealing with um, smaller class sizes, which um, is a challenge for the for the DBE um, to maintain small class sizes. So it is about developing creativity, developing creative thought, um, independent thinking, and of course, that's much more possible with a smaller cohort of students in your class. But I want to reiterate that exactly what Lebo Khan has said is that there are many state schools that are doing an incredible job. And you know, if you if you're looking at those well resourced um, state schools, they are also managing to maintain smaller class sizes and um, spend more personal time with the students. But I do believe that the way you educate what you bring to a child at a young age in developing capacities does inform thinking and ability to process as one progresses through your schooling. I want to talk about what the future of learning is going to be. I said on the open line today that I don't know that in 20 years' time, um, if I think perhaps about my own children when they're 18, if we're going to have a system of metric results in the way that it exists today. Um, Keith, perhaps you're better placed to speak to that because you're already um, dealing with schools and, and parents that are opting for online learning. How much of that is going to change what the industry currently looks like, you think? Um, thanks, Kathy. Um there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, I think the ideal situation in the near future would also to run a couple of pilot projects uh, pertaining to online metric exams, as in the final metric exams, not um, not the prelims, but the actual final metric exams being conducted online. Um, I think the higher tertiary institutions have already led the way that you can actually sit for high stake exams um, using proctoring systems that can invigilate exams. And already we've seen some of our online schools looking into that, pertaining to their prelims. So I, I would say that definitely an online metric final exam at a bigger scale could be one of the possibilities in the future. And when it also comes to the actual teaching and learning, I think we, just to also cement some of uh, the comments made by William and Lebo Hang, um, 
you know, besides the issue of resources, um, I also think there's an element also of um, innovation as well, the creative thinking that William was referring to, where we've also seen some of our online schools looking at gamification, trying to get learners to be more engaged with the content itself. So here it's all about private schooling having an element of implementing the curriculum, but more in an innovative, creative way. Um, and gamification seems to be one of those elements as well, just to get the kids interested in terms of the content that they have to engage with. And uh, we also see that also playing a huge part in the near future. Mm. Yeah, th those are very important insights. Okay, thanks for that. William, I want to talk about the issue of, of the cost of, of education. And online, of course, presents different types of opportunities, especially for private education. But when we look at some of the top um, schools, in, in top private schools in the country, parents for a curriculum year like uh, 2024 and some instances not going to be paying anything less than 200,000 per annum. And that's before you include some of the activities that are taking place and all the additionals that come with having balance in, in, in the life of a learner. Are we going to continue to see the cost of private education soar even higher? And, and what, what, what will the implication of that be, you believe? I think that uh, there are independent schools that are on the high end, expensive independent schools, who are able to offer huge extramural activities and huge um, extension to curriculum and what have you. And those are expensive. But I'd also like to just say that there are many, many low-fee independent schools. And there's this perception that independent schools are always the wealthy schools, but in reality, I, I would say at least, you know, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I, I would say at least half of the independent schools are not high-fee independent schools. And we must remember that independent schools are not, sub many independent schools are not subsidized, so they have to, to the parents are paying all the costs for tuition for the um, capital development of the school, et cetera, et cetera, to sustain that school and pay competitive salaries that one can offer a quality education. So I do think that private education does have a challenge of fees and, and we see education inflation often running higher than, than the CPI. But I think it's not all independent schools that, that are so expensive. It's, it's a small group of, of well-resourced traditional older schools that are, are really the wealthy schools in the country. And, and what would you say, William, what would you say parents are really buying? Because if I've listened to you carefully, all three of you carefully in this conversation, it's beyond the curriculum because um, there are almost parameters within which that um, takes place. The, the, the adjudications body, um, you know, has the same expectations of, of everyone. So, so, so what are parents really paying for um, with, with private schools? Kathy, I think that 
you know, it comes down to the freedom of choice. And I think when people put their children into a private school, they're buying into a certain ethos, into a religious belief, into a philosophical belief. Um, they maybe they are supporting, you know, smaller class sizes or whatever, but it really is a, a very personal decision. And um, there's no doubt that, you know, independent schools, we believe are doing a good job. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in that sector. But never to take away from the incredible job that is done by the state and recognizing that they have 700,000 students in their system with huge challenges. Um, and, you know, if you look at the IB, 15,000 students wrote matric. There's a, there's a huge discrepancy. But I do think that one system, having more than one system, also helps to hold a standard because in both systems, things will be mirrored. And it helps Umulusi find a, a control and maintain a standard when they're looking at what more than one outcome. All right. We'll continue the conversation in a moment. Lebhang, I'll hear from you after the break. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlatana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue the conversation on the talking point, We're focusing on the release of the metric results, in particular, the Independent Examinations Board, a 98.46% pass rate. Let me bring in Erin Ryan, who's from Danfern College. Erin, good morning to you. Hello. I hear that it's celebrations all round for you as well this morning. Yes, I was very happy with my results. Let, let me give you an opportunity to brag, Erin. Tell us about <laughs> exactly how well you did. Um, I got 10 distinctions, um, which was a big relief for me. <laughs> 10 distinctions. You and the... What is what food? Maybe it's in the food. Is, is the is the secret in the food that you were eating uh, throughout the year, Erin? What 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 <laughs> went? Hey, sorry. What went into getting that result for you? Well, it was definitely the teachers that supported me along the way. I wouldn't have been able to do it without them, as well as a lot of hard work. And what are your plans now? What do you want to study? I'm hoping to study virology at UCT. Maybe they can teach me how to cure a few viruses. Oh, wow. So the next time we have a pandemic such as COVID-19, your name is the one we should look out for, right, Erin? Because you could well come up with the next vaccine to all sorts of illnesses that could come up. (laughs) That's what I'm hoping for. And, and, and where, where did that come from? How did you uh, get an interest in, in virology? Um, when I was doing the genetic engineering section in life science, I realized um, how it could be used to solve many diseases. And so I found that really fascinating and I'm hoping to learn more about it. Well, Erin, a big congratulations to you. You absolutely deserve it. Well done. I hope you're very, very proud of yourself. And we wish you the best for the year as you go into your first year of varsity. 
Thank you so much. Well done. I mean, 10 A's, hey? Level? Did you even get one distinction level? Eh? See, see, I can tell. He didn't get any distinctions. There was no dis- 10 distinctions. Absolutely incredible. Well, I'm going to continue the conversations with the bodies that also um, run things uh, in the independent sector. Laborang, let me bring you back into the conversation. Perhaps get uh, your reflections on, on some of the questions um, I was asking William. And in particular, it's about what is the value proposition of, of private schools right now in South Africa? Kathy, as I've always said, that if parents can afford an education for their children, they really can't, they must try and invest in it. That is one thing that you can give your children that no one can ever take away from you. And I think that when I say that, I mean that in both find the best quality school, be it public, be it independent. And I think that is what is most important. But more than investing in your child's education, Kathy, we need, need to become a country of readers. Let's leave iPhones, iPads, tablets, take our children to the library, get them to become readers. If your child is a ferocious reader, it will show in the results academically. And I think that that is what is most, most important. Make our children to become readers, and that will produce the results we would like to see. And, you know, as you say that, Lebohang, I think about just the the big challenge we have, even with public libraries in a country like, like ours, you know, instead of having more of them open up, they're closing down. And that speaks to the challenge of, of the investment, especially in, in those earlier years. So let's look then to the year ahead and um, briefly touch on what your expectations are of, of the sector might be, um, particularly for, for independent schools. Keith, let me kick it off with you. Thanks, Cathy. Um, I, I think from an assessment body point of view, it, it's, it's more or less making sure that um, the implementation of the qualification, first and foremost, it is done the way it should be done. Um, I think learners will certainly need support from 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 the right expertise in terms of the teachers and having the right resources for them just in order to to be prepared. Um, one thing I do know is that we within the online schooling space, so something that we're all looking forward to is the um, the regulation or rather the the policy that will be a framework in regulating online schools. Um, and I think this is um, quite important, and it really has been long time coming. Um, this will also just give parents the assurance that if it's not a brick and mortar institution, and if it's an online school that one could also look at, uh, then these online schools will be governed by some framework that will make sure that it's more or less not a fly by night. Because these are also some of the concerns that still operate within the online schooling space of these um, independent um, institutions or schools that are predominantly offering the CAPS curriculum online. 
Yeah, that, that, that that's an important one. Thank you for that, Keith. William, let me bring you in here and uh, ask you the same question. But if you can also add to it, what do you anticipate? How do you anticipate that private schools will respond to the competitiveness of 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 the sector? Thank you, Kathy. I think that one of the things that the IB does really well is the the way they run their cluster groups and the investment they make in supporting the teachers in um, the NEC process. And I think in schools, that's something that independent schools need to continue to invest in. We're very conscious of professional development, as it says, um, with the CPTD process. Um, but I think the investment in supporting the teacher so that we can support our students in turn create uh, mental health and mental stability if they feel secure and supported in the process. And I think that's, that's the, for me, the biggest um, driver if we want to hold our students and hold integrity in our system. All right, William, thank you for that view. Lebogang, I'm going to give you the last word then in this conversation. Thank you very much, Kathy. I think that for us, there's no question the biggest crisis threatening independent education in the country is uh, municipalities. In Johannesburg at the moment, the Johannesburg City Council has decided that the enemy is education. They want to charge low-fee schools commercial rates to as if they're businesses. And that is something that is a deep crisis for education, because as we know that often if Johannesburg does something, other municipalities may follow. That is something that is of deep, deep worry to us all, that Johannesburg has decided that education, for independent education, should only be for the super rich in our cities. And that is something that is deeply regrettable. And of course, it only adds to what is a very high bill for schools, much of it which goes just to, um, you know, operations. The operational budgets of schools are, are so high that if you begin to chip away at that, then you're taking away from what could potentially be going into resources as well. So, Lebohang, what are you doing about it now? We have actually, uh, we're going to be, we are, we've opened a case against the city of Johannesburg because also, Cassie, the Supreme Court of Appeal faced another question that we took on as IFASA, and they said that not-for-profit schools that are public benefit organizations cannot be charged commercial rates. Now the city of Johannesburg wants to be sued, even though the Supreme Court of Appeal made that decision two years ago. So we are suing them again, and we mm-hmm. hope there will be personal costs against those officials who decide to be enemies of quality education in our cities. All right. It seems to be one of those stories that has gone under the radar. We'll certainly keep, certainly keep an eye out to see how it um, develops. Keith Maseko, William Bester, Labham Munjani, let me thank you all for your contribution to this conversation. It's 11 o'clock. Time for the latest news.